Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. So, dear listeners, the RV Navigator and his co-pilot is stuck on doing translations with her iPod. So we aren't doing our traditional beginning, which somebody said was getting kind of boring anyway. So so that's good. So we've been playing with the Google Translate. An app for our iPhones. Now here it is. I've got this on my iPhone. It's a free app from Google. And what I do is um, I choose the language that I want to be translated into and then I speak. So now I'm going to push the button and I'm going to speak. Where will I find a caravan park? And then it comes back. We'll see if it says it in German. Wo finde ich einen Campingplatz? That's perfect. And my wife knows German, so she can actually tell that it's translated correctly. So what I do is I press the button. Speaking very clearly and distinctly. I'm going to say something uh, very easy in English that I would like translated in German. And it also puts it on the screen, which is also very cool. So this will translate anything I can say into German. So I speak in English, and it translates into German, both printed and spoken, so that if I'm in desperate straits, uh, I can depend on this to translate for me. So here goes. Where will I find the grocery store? Now it's translating. It's working. And now here's the translation. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, now. And it has about 30, 40 languages in it. That's impressive, too. Really? That's a lot. Mm -hmm. And you can translate from any of them to any of them, huh? Yes. So as a tool for on the road, this is very cool. Unfortunately, we can't well, use our gonna, gonna iPhones in foreign countries. So if we meet a German visitor and they can't speak to us, and they're saying, wow, it's the Grand Canyon ever a beautiful spot. They're trying to say that in English, but they don't know how to say it. What would you say? Yeah, es ist wunderschön. And now she holds the microphone near the thing and presses play. Yes, it is beautiful. So that's right. So that did a very good job. Um, and this is obviously not a sophisticated... Well, it is a very sophisticated tool because it works uh, online. You don't. It's actually a very small app that you install, and it's easy to use and free. So if you are thinking about uh, doing some translation, this might be the tool for you. That's called Google Translate. And one of the many exciting things that we have to talk about on today's podcast. Oh, I just pressed oh the God. Arabic button and <laughs> well, it, that would be cool. it does the display in so, Arabic writing. So if and you happen to be in Libya and you're talking to Omar Gaddafi. <laughs> get on a plane as fast as you can. How do I get out of this country as quickly as possible? Okay, here we go. How do I get out of this country just as quick as possible? Oops. I don't think it... Well, the beginning was right, and then I cut it off. <laughs> and in Arabic? <laughs> in Arabic. And of course... All the... of that means that's beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. Wow. And of course, this app is available for both Android as well as the iPhone. So you might want to give it a try. Uh, also, you know that the iPhone has now come out for Verizon. And we are going to be coming up and probably getting a Verizon iPhone, even though it's CDMA, which I don't like as well as GSM. But we find out that AT&T 
<laughs> is not even available in five states. Out west. So that if you are in North or South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, or someplace else, you can't get AT&T service or an AT&T iPhone. So then we couldn't speak German on our phones? No, you'd have to use your Android, oh, which is the, the other option of uh, things to try. So we're excited to have the iPhone come to Verizon, but uh, we won't be getting it until the summer. And we didn't know that AT&T didn't even exist in those states. When we were in those states, we had Sprint. But I remember driving all the way across South Dakota and didn't my have phone Sprint didn't either. have Sprint. Uh, we're hoping that uh, Verizon is uh, a little bit more a better service, but we find out that uh, in recent tests that their data service is about half what it is on AT&T in terms of speed. So, so that'll be an interesting transition. We just won't be happy. Yep. Um, and then the other, we've been watching, we don't watch Jeopardy. I've never even actually seen Jeopardy, but... We watched Jeopardy the other day because it had on it Watson, the latest Jeopardy player. And I'm sure by now that you've heard about Watson. It's the IBM's test vehicle to see if it could uh, match wits with two contestants, all-time winning contestants on Jeopardy. And it actually did a very good job. And we watched the Nova about Watson and how it was made. And I really see this as a transformational computer. Computing has always been numbers. And it has always been one of those technologies that was assisting you in doing number crunching of one sort. Even if it's word processing, it's still numbers. Whereas this is helping you do thinking. Ooh, is that going to, is that going to rattle some people's cages? It seems like a scary thing, but you have to remember who yeah. built Watson in the first place. Well, and, and I don't know. It, well, no, it doesn't have a personality, and, and it doesn't have context. But what it does have is a huge database of of information that it can draw from. I was impressed with the speed with which it was able to answer the questions and to come up with a percentage of likelihood of accuracy. And it seemed to be able to make inferences, which is a higher level. Well, all sorts of things. And and the from right having watched the, the Nova answer. show, we were able to see that it had uh, developed over the years and that as little as a year ago, it, it couldn't possibly have beaten these two uh, stars of the Jeopardy world. Watson is something to watch out for, and I can see that it, you know, in the medical profession, it would be very cool, even if it wasn't super fast, if you could go online, ask a question, put in symptoms, and it would come back with a diagnosis. Uh, that would probably be as accurate as any doctor's at the present time anyway. So I can see some real pluses or even diagnosis of problems with your RV. You know, these are, are complex things, and if for any one person to have the knowledge base uh, on for easy retrieval of all that information is, is really tough. And so I, see, see, I think we need to watch Watson because it's going to change the way we interact with machines in the not-too-distant future. I think it's been so heavily covered by the media that I have nothing to add that people haven't already heard. Welcome to the RV Navigator, and we're glad to be here talking to you. Today we are uh, in the panhandle of, well, actually not the panhandle anymore. We're actually in Alabama on the seashore. On the Gulf Coast. On the Gulf Coast, commonly known as the Emerald Coast. And, and it is. And it's the end of February, and we're sitting here in our shorts right before dinner time. Yes. And it's still comfortable to be outside. And we highly recommend this area as well as the Florida Panhandle, which we just came through. And the Emerald Coast is named for the, the emerald green waters and the white, white sand beaches that we have experienced since making the last podcast. 
As you've heard us say before, in the bitterest of winter in January, there are very few places that you can be warm, and I would say that the Panhandle of Florida is not one of them. But once the worst of winter is over, <laughs> yes, uh, this has been an, a very nice place to be with a lot of tourist facilities uh, that seem to be mostly uh, snowbird patronized at the moment, although we can feel spring break is coming. Yes. Uh, so people appreciate our presence in the restaurants and the campgrounds are not particularly crowded and the weather has been delightful. There are parts of the panhandle that are very uh, lightly yes. populated, well, I would say around old the Ap Florida. Apalachicola area. Mm -hmm. We kind of felt like we drove north to come <laughs> into the old deep south. Uh, it's more that kind of a feeling with hush puppies and uh, that sort of outlook on life. But then once we came around the corner right. and started moving toward Panama City and Pensacola, uh, it became a lot more typically touristic. Yes, well, with the high-rise, the houses on stilts on the barrier islands. You see this in a lot of parts of the country, but uh, it's very prominent here also. And it felt more like the rest of coastal Florida than it did around the Apalachicola area. And frankly, more beach here than you can find. You couldn't place. go wrong. Wherever you stopped, yeah. it was beautiful. But we do want to say that uh, even today, at the end of February 2011, that the BP-sponsored beach cleanup was still in action. And the beaches look immaculate, so at first we had the misimpression that it was pretty much over, but we have not been on a beach that we haven't seen uh, little clean-up vans and people in plastic bags. Yes. And uh, people have told us that the beaches are devoid of shells, which is not how they used to be because the clean-up people pick up all the shells when they pick up the tar Well, bottles. maybe the shells pick up tar, too. Maybe. Yeah. So it, it does seem like the, uh, the ramifications from the oil spill are far from over. There's also a lot of coverage in the local media that um, BP is complaining that too much money has been given to the locals, and the locals are complaining that they haven't gotten near the money that they deserve. Uh, it's a story that was very prominently featured in the national media last year, and we haven't talked about it lately nationally, and it felt like it was over, but when you get down here, it certainly is not. But we want to say that from our perspective as a tourist in this area, there's no indication that there's any tar. There's no reason not to there's come. There's no reason not to come, and the beaches are staggeringly beautiful. And uh, the sunny skies and the blue and the very, very pretty water. And we've eaten. It's not blue, it's emerald. And which we've is eaten true. what we think is local seafood. Yes. And it's been tasty and fresh and. And apparently abundant and reasonably priced. And so y'all come down. <laughs> Who, I don't know. I don't know if. Is y'all down? We're in Alabama, so okay? I can say that. In oh, Alabama. okay. Y'all. No, that's one word. All y'all. Now, we want to talk a little bit about uh, some emails that we've received. I've gotten a couple of corrections. Uh, My gosh, we made a mistake. Oh, tough How can to that believe. be? Yes, and I do appreciate when you guys uh, send us an email that uh, tells me that I've made a mistake. Uh, Dave wants to tell me that radar detectors are not just used for speeding. Um, he's a, I implicated that... Uh, the radar, the Cobra that I was that I was talking about, I said I don't really need one because I don't speed. But he mentions that radar detectors these days uh, communicate with each other and that they uh, tell you about red lights and about uh, speed traps and other things that will keep you out of trouble. So thank you, thank you, Dave, for 
bringing that up. And Steve sent a correction that I think refers to something I must have said uh-huh. because I was not speaking very precisely about the process that we use to tow our Jeep Liberty. Um, I think I left the impression that you put both the transfer case and the shift mechanism in neutral, yes. and that's not true. The, the transmission. And that's not what I do. Um, you put the transfer case in neutral, neutral. and you leave the transmission in, in park. park. Which is unusual for many cars because most cars do not have a transfer case, therefore you can't put it in neutral. So that in there and those you put the transmission in neutral, but apparently it hurts the transmission if you leave it in in neutral in the Jeep Liberty or probably any of the Jeep products. So sorry I said it wrong, but I'm glad I'm still doing the it. The bottom right. line about this though is is that the Jeep is probably one of the easiest of the cars to hook up and tow. And that's why so many people use them. Although we're seeing we're kind of shopping for a new one and I was very glad to see in the current issue of Motorhome magazine that they came out with the new uh, towing guide uh, that's cars that you can tow. And I think uh, the number of cars that you can tow has expanded, which is nice to see. Gives us lots more choice. But uh, there were several, as we mentioned last month, uh, several um, little idiosyncrasies that you had to go through in order to tow many of these cars. And I mentioned last month about the the fuse uh, switch that you could put in, and uh, many of the cars need those. But I, with the switch, I don't see that as, as much of an issue. In this campground... And we're staying in kind of a special campground, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in this campground, we see uh, lots of Jeeps, the Chevy Traverse, the Honda CRV, and then a collection of other larger vehicles. Um, this campground, we kind of picked it out of the sky. And it is uh, kind of unique. We've never stayed in one like it because you can't stay here unless you're in a motorhome. Wow! And when we went on a the thirty-two web- footer, when we went on the website to make a reservation, we had to press a button to say <laughs> that yes, we had a motorhome, and no, it wasn't older than fifteen <laughs> years old. And we thought, oh my God, if it was a few years. I'm glad they didn't ask about us though. <laughs> and you can't we- be more than sixty-five to stay here. And this is one of those lots that you see a lot in Florida, and there are others down here in Alabama as well, where you can purchase a campsite and have a, a permanent home base. But when the owner is not here, the they lot rent is out. rented out. So we're staying on somebody's lot, and we are somehow paying them rent. And because this uh, campsite is very new, it's a little raw looking in terms of vegetation. But we are but on the lake. the clubhouse is fantastically landscaped with a spectacular pool. Um, and but, I'm just glad I'm not paying for it. Exactly. They will be happy to sell you some uh, a nice campsite here. And they're nice and wide. And as a matter of fact, we could pull in front in. And there was room for both the car and the motorhome on the cement pad. And there's a patio. And, of course, uh, 200 amp and full hookup for anything you want, including cable and Wi-Fi and the whole shot. So it's a very nice campground. Um we went down to Gulf Shores, which is just a few minutes, uh, 10 miles away, and we looked at the state park there. Which was also very impressive. Over 500 sites. And you could stay there for $440 a month. month. Uh, substantially less. And it had a tennis court and a boat input place. A golf course attached to it somehow. And full hookups. And, and very nice large sites. Uh, we stayed in Destin, Florida at Henderson Beach Hendrickson, Henderson, Henderson Beach State Park. Henderson Beach State Park. Uh, we stayed there for almost a week and really enjoyed that park. Um, very secluded, nice sites uh, with 
well, all the water, well, and electric. Think, water and electric. And had a laundromat. But 50 amp, so you could definitely enjoy yourself there. But it's certainly safe to say that if you come to this area, there are many places to camp, and many well fine choices. I don't think we would think need a reservation here. Not at this time of year. No. Maybe and spring I, break. Well, maybe at the state park it said it was full. Oh, yeah, And that's certainly right. at, at Henderson it said it was full. That's right. That's and right. it was full. So if you want to stay at one of the lower-priced but nice state parks, you had best make, make a reservation. And I assume that in the summertime that it would be very busy. So if those of you who are summertime campers and are planning to come down and go to the ocean, because this is a straight shot down from lots of places, the folks next to us are from Tennessee, and they said it was 500 miles. You can zip down from Missouri or southern Illinois and even Wisconsin. The Midwest. It's a, straight, it's a straight shot south. So this is probably the first place you could go and the closest to ocean that you could hit. So uh, definitely consider this, and lots of things for kids to do. Good family area, yeah. Although many of them are closed at this time of year because it must be really hot here in the summer. But being on the ocean, it might be just really nice. And, of course, the state park was right on the ocean. But as we've learned, being on the ocean is not all that beneficial. In the winter. In the winter. Because? The cold water condenses the warm air and makes fog. And then the fog comes in and sits on you and makes you cold and damp feeling and obstructs the view. I don't know how I got onto that because I missed... The, the other correction. The other correction, which I don't want to. This is uh, from Jeff. I, I'm catching up on the podcast, and I just heard the one where you talked about the Norcold recall fix. Just as an FYI, that auto-protect shutoff does not allow the fridge to be turned back on when the over-temperature condition clears. The trip point is over twice the normal operating temperature and will completely sh- shut down the fridge, period. The whole point is to force you to get the unit to a shop to look over the burner assembly for fuel for failure or damage. I hear that the factory will allow the shops to either clear or replace the cutoff if nothing else is found wrong. And he also mentions that the problem is just as dramatic with electric, which I was surprised at, as with gas, so that you could have a fire even with the, because I guess the stuff leaks out. If it gets too hot. So that's disappointing. Once it go the trips, that's it. Yep. Stop and get a styrofoam cooler for your food because <laughs> you're not going to have a fridge anymore. And certainly we've been many places where there's no Norcold refrigerator repair place. Oh, I bet you most RV places will do it. Yeah, depends where you are. Yeah, but there's always places around and there's always your local camping world, which will always fix it. Uh, now on to some news. Um, we found an interesting story about... Uh, <laughs> a poor RV park in the UK. They had starlings descend on the on the park en masse, leaving behind up to seven inches of droppings all over the park, showing signs of moving on after the site reported the bird scare. This is uh, <laughs> not something, can you imagine your RV or, as they call them, caravan sitting out there? Under seven, seven inches, inches of bird poop? <laughs> Do we have insurance against bird poop? <laughs> and the article said that the campground paid 10,000 pounds to clean it up, which would be over $15,000, depending on when you're translating that. Yeah. Uh, also, I had another email from uh, Alyssa, and she mentions that she's found a new website that has great links that you might want to take a look at. And uh, I'm going to put that on the website um, it's from our friends at Excel Distributors, the mattress people. I, I, they seem to have a lot of interest in camping. It is a page on parking your RV 
or camper for the night. The page includes general information on campgrounds, pilot, flying J truck locations, as well as Walmart locations and which ones allow overnight parking. I thought you'd find this page useful too, and we certainly do. And I will stick it on our links page as well as on this month's uh, show notes page. Another email. Uh, from Robert, and he asked us to talk about a couple of topics um, which are of interest to him, and he wants to hear our comments about this, and of course we will be happy to provide that, but um, we also would be interested in hearing from you. He says, uh, security and safety while on a trip or parked. I use Walmart parking lots for brief overnights. We have two. We have two. And overall, as a rule, we feel very safe, and we've never had a problem, whatever of any sort in any campground that we've ever been in or to Walmart. But, uh, but Walmarts make me the most nervous. I don't know that it's anything we did or didn't do. Some yes. of that is a matter of luck. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, I think it's just paying attention to your surroundings and knowing what other – and being with other people, I think, is another important factor. I would be reluctant to camp in a spot where we were all by ourselves. Perhaps, and I think we've done it in a Walmart, but uh, other than that, you know, we prefer the casinos because they do have security. And there are lots and lots of casinos that allow parking for free. So uh, the Walmart, I think, is one of our last choices as far as we're concerned. Am I right about yeah, that? Yeah, well, it, it dep- oh, to me, it's a, certainly never brief overnight stops often depend on location, location, location. Yes, yes. If the Walmart but, was right by the expressway that yes. we were going to go on the next day. Yes, but it also depends on location, 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 and how it looks. And we've been to some that we've passed up. That we pulled into and pulled, pulled out, out of again, out, yeah. Yes, and I would not stay at, at a rest stop. Um, even though they say they have security. And most rest stops you can't stop overnight anyway. But uh, although we did stay at the in the Ohio on the turnpike. turnpike, which had actual campsites. I think if you go back a few podcasts, you'll find that uh, Well, we talked about that. Yeah. We've just never had a problem, but I think it's because we're cautious. And we look around and we're aware and we try to be low-key. You know, don't put out uh, all the slides and don't make it look like you're not home. You can buy one of these little devices that looks like you have the TV on in there that flickers. Oh, it flickers? <laughs> <laughs> I think we mentioned that in one of our podcasts also. And he also says, please discuss firearms. We really can't discuss them well, because we don't have them. We don't like them. We don't own them. We know about the Second Amendment, but we don't practice it. It's slightly out of date. But, of course, if you travel in any other country... You do have to be very careful about firearms because and the Canadians in particular are very, very cautious about this. I heard about one guy who they found a bullet. He'd removed his guns, but he had a bullet in a drawer or something, and they turned his his RV upside down because they thought that if there's a bullet, there's got to be a gun. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you don't want to have happen. And we have been searched at the border going into Canada. And, of course, the Mexicans are really sticky about Big on guns. firearms, Big too. Big on firearms. <laughs> on you not think, having you them. You may think this is strange. But they blame us for all the guns that are going down into Mexico. And they And all actively, the drug dealer deaths. Right. And they actively search RVs for guns. And we have had that happen also. So uh, it's best just not to have one. Full-time RVing, pros and cons. Well, we've never been full-timers. No, we are full-time part-timers. <laughs> <laughs> so if you like the the words of a full-time part-timer, I don't know. We like to have a place that has our stuff. 
to me, I would only full time if I couldn't afford to also have a stick. Now, if you had to, house. if you had to choose between having a house and RVing, at this stage in my life, I would probably full time. Yes, I but, would agree. But earlier, no. So the pros and cons is basically, I think, for most people, it would have to be money. Money. Yeah, if you got the money to have both, then you would probably do it. And a lot of people that we know that full-time have some sort of home base. It could be a campsite that they've purchased, like where we are now. We you know, in a place where you have your doctor and your dentist and all that kind of stuff. But we have talked to RVers, and we talked to somebody fairly recently, who found getting rid of their house to be a big relief. Um, and, of course, this is not our issue. But if you are somebody who has a lot of stuff and... You just cleaned out your parents' house that had a lot of stuff, and you said, I don't want to leave that to my kids. I want to clean out my own stuff, and the only impetus I have to clean out my own stuff is to get into an RV. Then you might want to consider going into an RV. And, you know, this really restricts your really, yes, it gives you the excuse and the motivation to get your act together and to clean out your drawers. But that really is not our issue. As a matter of fact, I would feel bad if I got rid of all my stuff. And my drawers are very clean. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, let me check your drawers. Unzip. Okay, so we appreciate Robert for sending uh, sending us the email. And if you get more specific, we'll be glad to answer your questions. Next, we want to mention Magna Shades that were installed by Jeff. As you know, we went to MCD last fall, and we had uh, electric shades put in the front. Um... And they were very expensive, as and more expensive than we expected. And I think if I'd known about this product, I probably would have done this instead, because this offers the same sort of shade, but you put it on the outside with magnets. I was always these people had to go up and snap them, and get out a ladder and put up to, to put up their shade in the front. Is this is just, for the motorhome windshield. We should add. Yes, or and on the side. Uh, to get up there and, and snap it from the outside and put it on. Um, it may be better on the outside, but I'm just not going to do that very often. So they have a, a, I don't know how new this is, but it's a nice system. He sh- he received it while we were there and was able to show it to us, and I have some pictures that I will be. Could you do windows for a trailer this way, too? I think you could, because he had the shade custom made for his windshield. It'd have to be a pretty big window. Uh-huh. Well, I think of our fifth wheel. We had a yes, big window in yes, the back. Yes, I'm thinking about the back of your fifth wheel, but they're mostly smoked Anyway, I don't know. Yes, I'm sure you could. It, because what the way this works is, is uh, very cool because you glue a magnet on the inside. So you're on the inside of the coach and you glue these magnets around the periphery. And then... Of the window. Of the window. And then the magnet goes through the window. The magnetism goes through the window and holds the magnet that's uh, sewn into the shade on the outside. So, yes... <laughs> So he just had a long pole he that a long he pole. used to put can, uh, big, the shade up high. Yeah, so there's no clips or, or stays to get, and you just kind of move it around until the two magnets uh, make contact and snap the, the magnets, jump together. And it really looked nice and smooth and uh, will do a good job of uh, blocking out the sun. But yet, it's one of those uh, shades that that has uh, see-through capabilities also. And as I see when I look at the website, you can actually have pictures drawn on the shade. Oh, and decorate them. And then when you Ooh. put your windshield wipers back uh, over your windshield, that helps to hold the shade down too. So yes, it looks like it wind. would be, it would stay there even in high wind. So that's a company called Magna Shade. Good idea. And we will put the link up for that, of course. 
Many people ask us, how do I get started in RVing? Will I like it? And do I want to do it? And uh, even for some of you who maybe are overseas and are thinking of coming to the United States and are a little bit apprehensive about this, there's a company called Tracks and Trails. uh, And I don't have any firsthand knowledge of them, but I found them on the web. And what they do is they plan your entire trip and they rent you the RV to go along with it. So they make the reservations at the campgrounds for your whole family. And so for about $4,000 for 10 to 12 days of camping in an RV, they plan the entire trip, tell you what to do, give you a a complete itinerary, and uh, they don't go with you, but you then pick it up and, and, uh, and do the trip. And most of these are through the national parks in the United States. And this would be a great way if you're a little bit apprehensive about uh, RVing and don't know whether it's for your family or if you're coming to the United States and you're looking for a company that will um, plan your trip and you don't know exactly what you want to do once you get here. This is a great company for, it sounds like it's a great company for taking care of all of those details. They sell you the package that includes the itinerary and the RV. They will also do it for hotels, but uh, I think the RV nature of it is especially appealing. So you might want to take a look at treks and trails if you're thinking about going to some of the great national parks that we have in the United States. We read Budget Travel, and they have a somebody, uh, one of their columnists, Valerie, wants to know about the best RV trips. And Tips. So Valerie says that she's been daydreaming about doing some RVing, um, but she's grown up in a family that never RV'd, and she doesn't know much about it, and it's just a daydream at this point, and she would like some real first-person advice <laughs> from real and world. And we know that our listeners will provide that. So she's asking questions like, what would you tell a first-timer about to embark on her inaugural RV vacation? I want to hear all your best road-tested tips, the easiest vehicles to operate, the best strategies for plotting a route, your favorite RV campgrounds, the ultimate packing list, smart money-saving tricks, your worst mistakes, and your greatest discoveries. So Budget Travel often asks questions like this, and readers uh, write in on the web and share. And uh, we're all for sharing good ideas. So you might want to take a look at the Budget Travel website and give the people who are reading it some suggestions. Or you might want to take the suggestions of the people. So far, I see there are seven comments uh, as a result of this column. Uh, The first comment to begin, I use latex latex disposable gloves and get a lesson on how to empty the holding tanks. That's the first thing I would do as a tip. People make a lot of mistakes with that, and that's a mistake. Third, bring business cards because you never know who you'll meet and keep in touch with the people from your travels. Um, you know, so there are some interesting tips that people are giving are given out here, and maybe you'd like to share some with us, and maybe you'd like to type them in here. She's asking for the best RV tips, and your RV navigators are trying to help her out. While we're on the subject of tips, we also found a great article about safety tips for planning an RV, things that you don't want to find out after the fact. <laughs> um, and, and this is an excellent article, in my opinion. Uh, number one point, highly important, <laughs> learn how to drive the RV you plan to use, especially if you're going to be driving something much larger than you've ever yes. tackled before. Um, there are RV driving schools. Yep. You, you can rent Most one of the t- rallies have the RV driving school there. And, and the critical skill is knowing how to back it up, um, especially yep. with a trailer when they 
when you have to turn one way to go the other way. I never did quite master that. <laughs> oh, we know. <laughs> Neither did I. That's the problem. And you, we, when you buy an RV, they just kind of hand you the keys and say bye, and <laughs> and that could be a problem. And we talked to a fellow RVer uh, earlier this month, and and he said that he actually paid his neighbor to back his fifth Because he'd been a long-distance truck driver. This is not the first time that's happened. We've seen this on a couple of our rallies, too. Uh, so... Learn how to drive your RV. That's a, a, an important critical tip. RV insurance and road service. Hmm. Very important because you have an awful valuable vehicle with all of your valuable belongings inside. RV insurance is different than car insurance. Yes. Um, and you want to make sure that what all is included, for example, if you break down and need to be towed, how far will they tow you? Who will do it? Do you have to pay for it first? Um, and you want unlimited towing because... It can be a long way out west or in Alaska someplace that your RV has to be towed to an appropriate repair facility. Depending on what kind of RV you have, you may have to have a towed a long way, and you don't want to have to pay for that. So there are lots of insurance companies that specialize in RVs, and uh, the one for our car, the company just plain wouldn't handle our RV because they didn't want to handle the contents, and they didn't know what to do about slides and you know, all the things that are inside. So <clears throat> we went with a specialized RV company that uh, actually handled all this. And then we have separate towing insurance through Good Sam, or you, there are a number of CoachNet. CoachNet is another one that has, and there are a number of companies that handle towing, but make sure that you got unlimited towing. Reservations. Um, we often don't like to make reservations, no. but this tip is really good for a suitcase trip as well as for a camping trip. And they're suggesting that a few hours before you get somewhere, you should call and make sure that they're still expecting you. And certainly in some parks where we've been, if you get there a little bit late, uh, the check-in personnel have gone home and, and they might leave you an envelope or a, a note stuck on the door. Uh, but the last campground we were in, you had to have a combination to get into yes. the campground after dark. And if you had called ahead and said we're going to be a little bit late um they could have given you the the combo and told you how to get to and your we're site. not even talking about reservations that are days in advance we're but talking that about reservations day of, that may day be of. day of right so and and of course occasionally things get goofed up and it's always wise to check that they're expecting you another tip to check road conditions for construction and closures Truckers have a saying, there's only two seasons, winter and construction, and when you're traveling in an RV or in a car, you're bound to run into some construction. So there are some websites that report those things, so you can put that into your plans. Uh, The USDOT, Federal Highway Administration, has a website where you click on the state, and it shows you current road conditions. Number five is always, always, always check the weather. Certainly in the winter, this has been very important, and you need to check (laughs) the weather coming to where you're leaving from as well as the area that you're going to be driving through. We learned that the hard way. And thunderstorms, uh, you know, you see high winds, you see RVs and things that have been tipped over as a result of winds, and you just don't want to run into that. And you have to be flexible. This is critical. We just don't drive when the weather is going to be bad. Checklists, number six. Seasoned RVers use checklists to inspect their RV, hitch, and tow vehicle from top to bottom, inside and out. If you don't have a checklist, you can get download a boilerplate one from the website that they've listed. Um, you can choose whether you have a Class A, B, C, fifth wheel, trailer, or pop-up, and then start with their checklist and add the important details for yourself. 
Um, we are pretty good at doing this without a checklist, but I can think of a time when I didn't put the jacks up on the trailer and we started driving down the road with the jacks down. And I can think of a time when we drove with the satellite dish up. Well, but that was a different story. Well, these that are wasn't like that we didn't put it down. Checked. It didn't go down. And we found a critical time is when people come and talk to you while you're hitching yes. up. It's easy to forget um, part of that process. Yeah, and when we've been on the caravans, that's been especially bad because it's kind of a communal sort of event and everybody gets to chatting and so, okay, let's leave. And people are out of their normal routine and we had several people who forgot to straighten out their tires and things like that. I can remember that as one particular problem and somebody who actually broke their hitch driving out of the the campground because they made some mistake with their car hitch. Electrical load. What a nightmare. I'll leave this, to you. I'll leave this one up to you. <laughs> what a nightmare. It's Never so get a campsite without 50 amp. <laughs> it's so simple at home. I just plug in what I need. I use it. Then I'm done. I stop using it. Now I'm always having to add and subtract and check the gauges and make sure if I'm on line one or line two because it's so easy in it, a motorhome especially that uses in, a lot oh, of juice. Oh, in the good old days when we had a small RV that only took 12 or 15 amps. I hardly ever blew a fuse. You could plug it into anything. But now she has to run three or four electric appliances and two air conditioners. And, yeah, and This person power. gave an interesting tip. They write down that their toaster uses 14 amps and their egg cooker is 5 amps and that you can't run the air conditioner while you're making breakfast. So they've kind of logged that. I think we have learned that through bitter experience. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have to remember that your hot water heater takes up power and your refrigerator takes up power when you're plugged in. Many people, I think, forget that. And they take up a fairly substantial amount of power if you have them on electric. And occasionally we've parked at campgrounds where the pedestal was miswired, uh-huh. which causes you problems as well. Yeah, and we have a gizmo which checks that. Now we're on the subject of weight. I don't want to talk about that too much either. <clears throat> I'm speaking of my own personage. But we're talking about the RV. Okay. And we've talked many times why we have a diesel. Because we want to have the towing capacity that... uh, To carry the the stuff we want to bring. Right. And so, but for lots of people... Especially trailers. It's very important. And understanding that water weighs eight gallons a pound and fuel weighs four, or propane weighs some and you know you always got to add these things in and make that part of your calculation Uh, number nine they talk about wildlife everybody enjoys seeing wildlife but sometimes wildlife truly is wild um, and it can hurt you especially if you're careful about leaving food laying around we've seen wonderful pictures in yellowstone where bears have ripped open cars America's funniest videos is full of these where some animal has gotten into the campsite. And, and just because an animal looks warm and fuzzy, you don't want to send your kid up there to get close to it for a picture. So um, you want to give wildlife the respect that it's due. And last, number 10, your is Wi-Fi topic. and mobile Internet, which we don't need to talk about because we've talked about that ad All nauseam. the time. <laughs> and is there anything new in this topic? No. Well, next month there will be. Next month there will be, but uh, we will wait and see what that is because we just don't know what it's going to be. But we consider Wi-Fi to be a critical while we're on the road, and we appreciate it in campgrounds, and more and more campgrounds do have it, but we always carry our own to supplement the slow park Wi-Fi. So, dear listener, uh, we are about talked out today from the um, Alabama coast and when we talk to you again we will be reporting mid Mardi Gras from mid no from, it'll be at the end of Mardi Gras oh, 
Well, who knows? We will have lots of exciting stories to tell you about Mardi Gras. We can Gras. tell you how many beads that we've gotten, how many moon pies we've eaten, <laughs> <laughs> and how Mardi Gras works, because we have a lot to learn. And how many pounds we put on as a result of going to all the great restaurants in New, New Orleans. Orleans, about 200 miles from here, and we head off there tomorrow. So we'll be there at the beginning of the month. So... Mardi Gras is late this year, but uh, we're going to be there for the entire thing. So, dear listeners, we appreciate you listening. Please send us an email. Especially when we make mistakes. Yes. We hope to see you at a campground near us in the not-too-distant future. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.